All right, uh, we make a pick on that there, Dave. Uh, approach Easter. Easter is just a few weeks away here. We have been looking at the Gospel of Matthew and specifically uh, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And uh, we're uh, last week we looked at the Last Supper, which was dinner he had with his disciples, the very last meal he would have before he would die on the cross. And now we see that they head out after the meal. And it says this. We'll pick it up here. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, the Mount of Olives would sort of be at the bottom of your screen. That would be the temple. And so they would have come from the city at some location where they had the Passover meal, crossed over the Kidron Valley, and towards the Mount of Olives. And probably on his way, he says this. Uh, then Jesus told them, that's his disciples, the 11, because Judas at this point had... Uh, wandered off because he's going to get ready to betray Jesus. But he says to the uh, other 11, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so Jesus has already predicted, you remember that he said, uh, one of you is going to betray me. And I think by now they probably realized it was Judas. But now he says to all of them that this very night that you will all fall away. On account of me. And that, that idea of falling away, often the Bible has the idea of turning your back on God. And, and these disciples are going to turn their back on Jesus. And he points to a uh, text from Zechariah, from the book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah, if you ever read that book, the end of the book from chapter 9 to 14 is basically this long uh, sort of prophecy of this messianic figure who would be beat and ridiculed and killed. And Jesus takes this text from Zechariah. That says that when the shepherd is struck, that the sheep will be scattered. And so you could, you know, imagine a, a shepherd out in the field and, and he's got all his sheep and, and maybe a lion or a bear comes up and, you know, gets the shepherd and all the, the sheep, you know, flee. And this is what would happen to Jesus. That he is about to be arrested and crucified. And when they come to arrest him, the disciples are all going to flee. It's not going to be good. They're going to turn their backs on the one who had cared for them and loved for them. Uh, loved them for, for so long. But it's not the end of the story. Uh, because he says this to them. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so he's going to be arrested. The disciples are going to flee. But he says, I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to meet with you in Galilee. And he would actually, actually do this. And, and, and so he's giving them hope. And he said, all of you are going to run away from me. But that's not the end of the story. Because there's hope. I'm going to rise again. And I'm actually going to go ahead of you. And this is often how it works in our life. There's, there are times where we might turn our back on Jesus. I mean, whenever we do something that is not loving Jesus or loving people, is in a sense turning our back on, on God in some sense. And we might think, well, that's the end of the story. Or that's the end of my financial world. The end of my, you know, whatever it might be. But with Jesus, it's never the end of the story. That he has risen and he goes before us. In fact, I love this verse in Deuteronomy where it says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And so if you're like at a, a point in your life where you're feeling really discouraged and you're like, this is the end of this story and this is never going to work out. I mean, man, if you're looking to Jesus, God is going before you. And, and to trust him, he is risen, he is powerful, he is amazing. And so Peter pipes up, as he usually does. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And 
So Jesus gives a, a prediction that they're all going to fall away, and Jesus gives, or Peter gives his own prediction that that's eh, not going to happen. And then uh, Jesus says, well, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And just, it just was like, in a matter of hours, Peter, you're going to disown me three times. And you can imagine that just wouldn't compute to him. I mean, imagine having like a party at your house with all your, your best friends and you're hanging out and one of your best friends says to you, hey, in a matter of hours, you're going to disown me three times. You'd be like, man, we've been friends for years. I mean, we're pals. I mean, I would, I would do anything for you. I mean, you'd be like, that does not compute. I mean, this would not compute to Peter because he does not know what's coming. And so Peter says, even I ha- if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I mean, uh, and I think they were being sincere. Uh, We're never going to disown you. We're going to be there for you, Jesus, no matter what happens. So then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And uh, so they came out of the city up to the Mount of Olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. The word Gethsemane actually means uh, olive press. And here's just a couple of olive presses that... uh, the, the way they would have had them in Jesus' day. And basically, they had big stones or presses that would squish the olives and out would come the oil and they'd collect it. And so Gethsemane, which means olive press, probably was an olive garden. And if you go to Jerusalem today, which is the Mount of Olives in the background, those are all, all Jewish tombs all covering the mountain. But here is uh, the Garden of Gethsemane today. And uh, in there, there's all these super, super old olive trees. Some of these olive trees are like 900 years old. Not as old as, as when, when Jesus was here on the earth, but 900 years old. It's very, very old, old olive trees. And then uh, on this site is this really cool-looking church. It's called the Church of All Nations. And, of course, like all these holy sites in Jerusalem, they have in the middle of the church supposedly the rock which Jesus prayed on in the Garden of Gethsemane. But, I mean, nobody really knows, but it's there. I mean, who knows exactly where the Garden of Gethsemane was. But if you go to Jerusalem today, you can at least get an idea of perhaps what it uh, looked like. And so Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he, he brings all his disciples parks them there. Then he invites three of them to come with him, and Jesus really opens up to these three. And we see this a couple other times in the Gospels where Jesus actually takes with him these same three guys, Peter, James, and John, like to the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't take the other disciples, just these three. Or when he went to raise the, uh, the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader, he took just those three. And it seemed that Jesus was especially close with these three people, And he really opens up to these three. And he says that that I'm sorrowful and troubling. He said, I'm so overwhelmed with sorrow. It's it's like it's killing me. And he shares this with his three disciples. Uh, And I don't know if you've ever been at a place in your life where you're just so filled with with sorrow or you're so filled with emotions that you just just think it's going to kill you. And this is what, what Jesus is going through. And you say, well, why is he going through this? Because, because Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He said to his disciples numerous times that I'm going to be crucified. He knows what's coming, and he knows that that crucifixion is one of the most horrendous ways you could possibly die. I mean, it was so horrible that 
in that day, uh, most people wouldn't even say the word crucifixion. It was like one of our, you know, nasty swear words today. I mean, it was just like you would never say that because it just stood for something so horrible and gruesome. And Jesus would also, of course, go through a Roman flogging where this lead-tipped whip with lead bits and bone and metal would, would rip apart uh, the backs, even to the bones. I mean, he knows this is coming. I mean, it's hard enough for some of us when we know we have to get a tooth pulled or a cavity drilled. I mean, sometimes we freak out going to the dentist. But imagine knowing that in a matter of hours you were going to be tortured to death. I mean, that would be incredibly, incredibly overwhelming. But not only that, but Jesus also knew that his job as the Messiah was to come and pay for our sin. And I think this may have actually caused him more sorrow and and more just kind of to be in this emotional state because he was about to take upon himself the sin of the world. And this is what the Bible actually says. It says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Or 1 John 1.29, uh, John the Baptist says of Jesus, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on the cross, Jesus would take upon himself all the sin of the world and he would absorb it as this atoning sacrifice. Now that is heavy. I mean, sometimes we find it hard even to make it through our weeks because of, you know, maybe just the sin in our relationships or the just the struggles we have in life and and we can barely make it through a week. This week is killing me. I don't know if I can get through. That's just one week. And some of you had one day that has been so horrible because of the messy things you've done or other people have done. And, but imagine taking all of your sin for your whole life and just, just taking it upon yourself at, all at once. It would probably wipe me out. But Jesus would take upon not only all of your sin and my sin, but the sin of the whole world would fall upon him and he would be punished so that we might be free and that we might be in relationship with God. I mean, Jesus knows this is coming crucifixion, taking all the sin upon himself, and he's, he's very emotional. And this also teaches us that, that emotions aren't a bad thing. I mean, sometimes we're taught that, you know, especially if you're a guy, you should hide your emotions and keep them, you know, buckled under there because you're a man. And you, never, you don't share your struggles or your... Jesus was a perfect human. He was a perfect man, and yet he shares openly with these uh, three he doesn't share it with all of them. He didn't share it with all, you know, the whole congregation. It doesn't mean you have to stand up here and say, you know, here's how I'm feeling. But, I mean, you need to have a couple of people that you can really share w- what's going on in your life with. I mean, Jesus had that. I mean, I'm privileged to have people in my life where I can share what, what's going on in my life. I mean, do you have that? You might be, well, I don't need that because I got Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. Well, you remember in the garden, Adam just had God, and it was in this perfect world, and yet God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that was in a perfect world. I mean, how much more in this life with the struggle and sorrow do we need, you know, a, a spouse that is our best friend or a couple other people in our life that we can, we can share with? I mean, do you have that? And if you don't have that, you need to pursue that. You know, maybe look around and who maybe I could connect with in this church. I mean, maybe I'll invite them over for dinner and I mean, it is so helpful when, when you're able to share. I mean, studies to show it lessens depression, lessens anxiety when you're just able to share what's going on in your heart. And Jesus does this with these uh, three disciples. Then it says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, 
May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so he goes and he actually just with his face to the ground. Uh, I mean, he's just sorrowful to the point of death and saying, Father, if there's any way out of this, well, let's do it. But not my will, but, but yours be done. And this was not really the, the, the usual way people prayed in that day. I mean, we have our usual way. I mean, our usual way is to close our eyes, bow our head, and put our hands together like this. That's not how they prayed back then. Uh, it's not how Jesus usually prayed. Uh, the Jews usually prayed, prayed standing up with their hands out and their eyes open towards the heavens. Uh, this is the way Jesus often prayed. Uh, John 11, then Jesus looked up and said or prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Or John 17, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. That's how they prayed. They would look up like this is their, the way they uh, prayed. Or 2 Timothy 2.18, it says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. And in our culture, we, we, we kind of we do it like this. And uh, maybe just a challenge to you. I mean, this is nowhere in the Bible is it written this is the only way to pray. I mean, there are places that talk about closing your eyes. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with bowing your head. There's psalms that talk about that too. But, I mean, maybe try praying with your eyes open. At least I do that when I drive. You know, it's a good, good idea. <laughs> Don't want to close your eyes for too long. Uh, I mean, raise your hands or look towards the heavens. I mean, usually we close our eyes because it helps keep focused. And, and then we can, when you close your eyes, you can utilize your imagination a bit more to help you stay focused on your prayer or your, or your worship. But here he is in such sorrow that he falls to the ground. And again, feeling sorrowful and, and just overwhelmed isn't sin because Jesus didn't sin. Again, sometimes when we feel like we're just struggling throughout the day and having a, a difficult day, we think, well, if I must be in sin because I shouldn't feel this way. It's like, no, Jesus felt that way sometimes. And that's why you need to share with others and share with God and allow the power of God to, to build you, to build you up. Now, Jesus here is using a prayer that he taught people to pray. In the model prayer, he said that we're to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus does this in his own prayer as he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, he knows again that he's going to the cross. I mean, he knows it because he said it numerous times. I mean, he's not saying like, you know, I just, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going. He's saying, I, I want your will. I know the cross is coming. Would you give me strength? I mean, it is one thing to know that you're going to do something and another thing to be faced with it. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, you know, one of your pals around, I can jump off the high diving board, no problem, easy. And then you get up the top, you're like, oh boy, I don't know if I can do this. Or, you know, sometimes on the mountain bike, I'll go, we're looking at a drop. Oh, we can do that drop. And then you're up there and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. But, I mean, you got to realize he's not only fully God, but he's fully human. And knowing this is coming is very overwhelming. So he's like, Father, I want to do your will, but if there's any way that this cup can be taken taken from me, and the cup in this context here is the cup of, of suffering and the cross and what he's going to go through, but not as I will, but as you will. Now, this brings up an, imp an important point. I mean, this is the Son of God. He's saying, if there's any other way, then, th then let's do it. If I don't have to go to the cross, if there's some other way that the sin of the world could be dealt with, that people could be connected with God, if there's any other way, then I don't have to go to the cross. But we know he did go to the cross. And this is one of those texts that, that reminds us that there is no other way to have our sin dealt with outside 
of Jesus. And we talked a little bit about this last week. I mean, I mean, Jesus said this hard, hard thing. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's no way to be connected to, to the Father God. There's no way to have our sin dealt with except through Jesus. That's, that's a hard saying, especially in, in the culture we live in. Uh, you know, have some, some people say, well, that's, that can't be it, and, you know, that's wrong, that's narrow-minded, that's bigoted, you know, all religions lead to God or, or that kind of thing. Uh, but, I mean, the question is, and we talked about this last week, either Jesus, when he said this, was crazy, or he lied, or he was telling the truth. You know, the old C.S. Lewis, liar, lunatic, you know, uh, Lord. I mean, either he is Lord and he's saying this because it's true, or he was a lunatic and just saying crazy things, or he was lying. Uh, you know, he's not a liar. I mean, he proved it with his miracles. His life, his teaching is amazing. Uh, we, he proved it with his resurrection. And, and it leaves us with this idea that, 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 that this, this is what we do. This is what we teach in Christianity, that, that there is no other way. And yet that's hard in our culture because people say that's intolerant and, and that's bigoted. And there's a few things we need to understand. First of all, people say, how can you Christians say that? Actually, we don't say that. Jesus did. Uh, Jesus, and we follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus taught, and so this is what we do. The second thing is, I mean, even if we wish, and, and I, I would wish, I mean, it would be great if there were other ways to the Father, great if there are other ways for sin to be dealt with. I mean, that would be awesome because, you know, that just seems to be better. But even if we wish something doesn't make it true. I mean, I wish there was no poverty on this earth. I wish everyone had, you know, beautiful marriages, but that's just not the way it is. Just because we wish something to be true doesn't mean it is. And the other point is, is when people say, well, you're being very narrow-minded and bigoted and very narrow uh, because you say you're the only way, but all religions lead to God. Lead to God. In, in essence, they are being narrow-minded and bigoted as well because they're saying, I'm right and you're wrong. Just like you're saying, I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, I mean in fact, someone who says all religions lead to God and those who say that's the only way they're being narrow-minded and bigoted actually they're actually saying, well, I'm right, and most of the people in this world are wrong. Because most religions will teach that there's only one way to God. And so every statement, every, every belief statement is narrow-minded and bigoted. It's not about being narrow-minded and bigoted. It's about which statement is true. Uh, wh what is real. And, and I know this is making this way too simple, and we could talk way more about this. But, I mean, someone could say, well, two plus two is four. Someone else could come along and say, well, actually, it's pretty narrow-minded and bigoted. It's actually 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11, or whatever you want to make it out to be. It all is like, well, no, you can say that, but I could take two apples and take two more and go one, two, three, four. And we look at the facts and the evidence and say, no, it's actually four, even though that is kind of narrow and intolerant and bigoted. It's actually four. And it's no different with our beliefs. I mean, because in all religions and ideas, I mean, atheists teach that they're the only way. They're the correct belief. They're always to God. This is the correct way, and everyone else is wrong. I mean, again, everyone else is narrow-minded and bigoted in their, in their belief system, but it's where we look at the evidence. What, what, what does the teaching show? I mean, Jesus proved that, that he, what he says is true through his death and the resurrection, through the authenticity of this Bible. And, and you look, many people have turned to Jesus looking at the evidence behind the claims of Jesus. And so this is a hard teaching. But man, if there were another way, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. I mean, at any moment he could have escaped. At any time he could have said, no, this is too much because after all I don't have to do this because there's other ways for our sin to be dealt with. I mean, again, as we talked about last week, 
the reality is there is no other Savior coming for you. Jesus is the one who showed up. Jesus is the one who took upon our sin. Jesus is the one who redeemed us. Jesus is the one who taught us to love and to, and to honor other people and those kind of things. And so Jesus uh, will go ahead with the cross. So then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? And so Jesus had been praying for about an hour. And so obviously his prayer, you know, Father, you know, if there's any other way to take this cup from me, not my will be done, is not the, it was maybe probably just a summary of his prayer or the idea behind his prayer. And he prayed for a whole hour. He didn't just pray that one short thing. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And the idea is they couldn't keep watch and, and, and pray. And he asked Peter, hey, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says here that the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And this uh, is just very true. That our spirits are willing. Uh, that if you uh, see Jesus as Lord and you've invited him into your life and you're a follower of Christ, it's really just the spirit. It wants to do the will of God. The spirit wants to honor Jesus. It wants to serve Jesus. It wants to, wants to please Jesus. In fact, uh, Philippians 2 says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That, that when you surrender your life to Jesus, he begins to work in our spirit. And our spirits are willing. That, that our deepest desires are always to please Jesus. And this is one of the ways, by the way, whether you know if you're a Christian or not. If your deepest desire is just to follow Jesus and love Jesus, you're a Christian. Even things can get messy and you don't always do what you want to do. But if your deepest desire in a situation is, I just want to honor you, Jesus. And that is just a pure sign that, that you are a follower of, of Jesus. And because our spirits want to do the will of God, that God has set it up. He wants our lives to look like this. That, that God, of course, would be Lord. He is working in our spirits and our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And he's not talking about our, like our sinful nature here. He's, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about our spirits and our physical bodies, our mind and our bodies. And sometimes they're, they're weak. For instance, Peter, again, was saying, Jesus, I will never desert you. I'm never going to leave you. I will die for you. His spirit is willing to follow Jesus wherever. But the problem is his body and his mind were weak. When the soldiers come up, all of a sudden he's tempted, like, oh, this is a pretty serious situation. And all of a sudden his spirit is saying, don't leave Jesus, don't leave Jesus. But his body's like, we got to run, we're going to die. And he runs. And we got to make sure that because our spirits are willing, we always make sure that we, our spirits are leading our minds and our bodies. And sometimes we just need to say to our mind and body, whoa, down, boy. I'm in charge, right? And we see this at places in the Bible, like uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. That our spirit is wanting to please Jesus with every thought and thing. But sometimes our minds start thinking things that are not, you know, pleasing to God or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, anxious thoughts or whatever. And we say, down boy. Right? Our, our mind or body is to, we make, it, we make it obedient to Christ. We make it obedient to the work of the spirit in us. Or Paul, when he says, so I run uh, with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. In other words, we need to make sure that, that our spirits, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, is, is leading our mind and our body. Uh, but too often it happens like this, and this is what happened to Peter. I mean, his spirit was willing, but 
He saw all the stuff going on, and all of a sudden his, his mind, his body leads his spirit, and his spirit's saying, don't do it, and he ends up doing it, and we end up putting God at the bottom. You know, spirit is willing, but Jesus said our flesh is weak. And so how do we, how do we stay on this side? Well, Jesus told us. He, he said very clearly, clearly, pray, now watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That, but Jesus says it's by praying. By praying, leaning on strength from God. This is how this, this thing is changed where your spirit begins to lead your life and the temptations of the mind and the body become uh, less and less. And we see this idea in various places. Uh, for instance, uh, Jesus again in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That prayer keeps us from temptation. Or John uh, 17, my prayer it's not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one, that, that Jesus was praying for protection. And, and we need to always be in prayer that our spirits uh, would be in charge and, and our mind and the body would be um, under our spirit. So he went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, and he said, drink it, may your will be done. And here he is settled. I want your will, not mine. And Jesus is settled from this point on. We don't see him being reluctant at any way from this point on. I mean, he was kind of a emotional facing this, but he goes to God and he receives this beautiful strength. I mean, his mind and his body would have been tempted to run, to find another way. But he goes and prays and he has this amazing strength from this point on. You don't see him trying to resist you don't see him trying to run. You don't see him trying to defend himself. He's got the supernatural power as he faced the most terrifying event of his life. And it's the same for you and me. And there are some difficult things we need to face in this life. And there's sometimes that we will be an emotional mess as we think about what's coming down. But what did Jesus do? He prays. He leans on his good friends and he prays. And now he is strengthened for the battle. Uh, what happened to the disciples? Um, it says this. Uh, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? For they were not praying. Temptation is coming. They're not praying. And then he says, Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Again, Jesus is ready to meet this head on. His disciples are about to run. Both of them are tempted. Both of them are fa facing difficult situations. Jesus warns them, look, you've got to pray because temptation is coming. You guys are going to desert me. You need to pray. You need to pray. Jesus prays. He is strong. He can face what's coming. The disciples fail to pray. They sleep, and they end up failing. And, and this is how our life goes. You can either choose to be like Jesus, or we can choose to be like the disciples. I mean, someone quoted that verse earlier that, that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I mean, it's one of the truest verses in the Bible. I mean, we have trouble, but are you str strong? Can you face those struggles and those trials because you've been someone who has been in worship and, and in prayer? I mean, Spurgeon said that prayer will give you strength equal to your day. And that's absolutely true. So let us, like Jesus, go to God for the strength we need. Invite the worship team to come up as we take our song and sing that song. Uh, God, we we thank you first of all that uh, you sent your Son Jesus, and that He was willing uh, 
feet to uh, go to the cross that we might be completely forgiven. God, that we are now free, that we now face no condemnation, that, that, that we don't have to keep punishing ourselves for our sin because Jesus took it all. And God, we, we just honor your, your son, Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. And God, we thank you for the strength that you give us. That when we go through trials and struggles in this life, that, that through prayer we can be strong. That through worship we can be strong by looking to you. And so God, I pray for those in this room or anyone in this room who's going through a difficult week or a different period in their life. God, that you would strengthen them. That your power and your grace would fill them and would just cover them and give them strength, God. And so Father, may we leave this place walking like Jesus did, looking to you for strength, not sleeping, watching the sunrise. In Jesus' name.